This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Showcase Sundays today on the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance recommended. How do I? I'll skip ahead a bit. No, I can't skip ahead. All, all right, everybody, into the time machine. No, 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 no! You don't understand how radio works. All I have to do to return this is fade my voice out like this and cue the organist. You see, here we are. Wait a minute. 63 Audio presents the Old Time Radio Essentials Podcast. Greetings to all who gather here, and welcome back to Season 3 of Old Time Radio Essentials. If this is your first time joining us, and uh, even if it ain't, I must inform you, I am contractually obligated to inform you <laughs> that, that this is Episode 36, also known, a.k.a., our first episode of 2023, a.k.a. the 11th episode of season three. season three. My name is Dave. I'm Paul. And this is Pete. You know, folks, we spend most of our time right here in the old-time radio sweatshop, carefully gathering the highest quality full-grain ostrich leather, cutting the soft, nubby pieces into their proper shapes, using only the sharpest stainless steel pricking irons and awls. Then we sew them by hand into manageable sections and pass them along to the next worker to cobble them into the ultra-high-quality backpack that is our rotational pick for this program. But sometimes, just sometimes, folks, we get pushed out the back of a rust-eaten 1979 AMC Pacer, root around in the dumpster behind a Piggly Wiggly, pull out all of the food-stained plastic shopping bags, dry them in the desert sun, and, with the help of some half-crazed homeless woman named Maureen, braid them all together to make the indestructible fanny pack of entertainment that is our current selection. But not every time. That's for sure. Thank God. Uh, <laughs> and so uh, we come to you, our listeners, to present specific episodes of certain old time radio series. Now, there might be episodes that stand out as particularly representative of those series, or they might be one of those quotable episodes that fans of old radio like to discuss, either in person or on social media. As you may have derived from these earlier comments, to put it succinctly, we all take toys choosing a show for discussion. Last episode was my pick, and that was an episode of Bird's Eye Open House entitled Groucho Marx Visits Dinah for Thanksgiving, or something like that, in case you missed it. And now, Dave O'Pal, it's your turn to pull an old-time radio gem up from out your fanny pack. So tell us, what do you have for us today, guy? Well, today, my fellow revolutionaries... In honor of Valentine's and President's Day, I am bringing you a syndicated episode of Let George Do It, likely from its last season in 1954 or 1955. Um, and just 
to mention this. Uh, uh, we did have a special guest planned for this episode, but they were unable to join us at this particular time. So Pete's going to be joining up with him tomorrow, and you'll be able to hear that uh, uh, exchange with uh, the the author, the back and forth, the discussion of the story, uh, his process, and all of that in a separate uh, separate presentation, which is definitely something to look forward to. It'll be in this episode, though. Oh, okay. Later in this episode. Very good. Yeah, but I, I do have a question with where you were starting all this, you know, with the, the Valentine's Day and the President's Day. How does this show relate to Valentine's Day and President's Day? Uh, well, George, as in Washington, and Valentine's Day, as in George Valentine, the protagonist of the series. Oh, oh, okay. All right. Everybody's a critic. Okay, take it, Pete. <laughs> Let George Do It was a radio drama series produced by Owen and Pauline Vinson from 1946 to 1954. It starred Bob Bailey as detective for hire George Valentine with Olin Soul stepping in. With Olin Soul stepping into the role in 1954. Olin Soul, by the way, is was the voice of Batman in the 1960s cartoons. Wow. Yeah. Sponsored right. by Standard Oil, the program was broadcast on the West Coast Mutual Broadcasting System from October 18th, 1946 to September 27th, 1954. First on Friday evenings and then on Mondays. In its last season, transcriptions were aired in New York, Wednesdays at 9.30 from January of 54 to, to January 55. So now, without further delay, we present Bob Bailey as George Valentine in There Ain't No Justice from syndication and Let George Do It. And now, friends, adjust your radio dials to the proper frequency, get comfortable, and listen. Personal notice, danger's my stock and trade. If the job's too tough for you to handle, you got a job for me, George Valentine. Write full details. Why the frown, pal? Worried about that lawnmower you lent the guy next door two years ago? Not just because he lost his memory when he went ten rounds with Lewis is no reason to get yourself in a snit. My advice to you is let George do it. You know George Valentine. Take your problems to him. Everybody else does. You'll find him in the phone book. That's where Abner found him. Only Brooksy got him first. Brooksy fronts for George. And even over the phone, you'd know she's perfect for the job but not our Abner. All he could do was confuse the issue. Hello? I would, but I can't, you see. It's a great ad. I've seen it lots of times. Oh, a great ad, I said to myself. There's a kind of a guy that when a guy's in the Well, pitch, uh, just a minute, Mr. Valentine. on the extension, Angel. Hello? Hello? I haven't got much time, Yeah, see? I'm right here. I got it. No time to write, but uh, who are you? What's your problem? Now, this is a real pleasure, sir. If you'll permit me, my name is Abner, and I'm in jail. You what? Only don't get me wrong. 
The reason I can't write is because I can't write. You understand? Wait a minute, wait a minute. You said you were... That's right, I'm in jail. And let me tell you a more unjust thing has never happened to me. There ain't no justice. Uh, Mr. Abner, uh, slow down a little. I'm trying to write It's important, that's all. There wouldn't be time to write either, I guess, for that matter. But the main thing is it's important. That's what I've got to make you understand, see? You get me? Oh, sure, you make it so easy. Yeah, well, I'm kind of excited. Because, you see, the jail burned down. What? Oh, oh, yeah, and you burned down with it. Now, hold on. I mean the jail over in Melody. That's where I'm calling from. Melody? Over in the valley? Yes, sir, that's the one. And a beautiful little town it is for tarantulas. But that old jail, let me tell you, was the biggest eyesore. Hold it, hold it, will you? Now, say something sensible or hang up. But I am. I mean... Just because I can't write. Listen, the fire was last night. They moved us out, that's all. Now we're locked up in the sheriff's office. That's how I could get to the phone. Ah, clear as a bell. Listen to me. I got out of the fire, understand? Only one of the guys in the big cell, he didn't. He's dead. And if I tell what I know about it, I'll be dead too. What? I mean it. It's a rough deal. Get over here, will you? If you don't help me, if they make me tell what I know, they'll burn me. I wonder if this Abner's telling the truth. Could be he's taking George on a wild goose chase. Well, all I know is my friend here won't lead you astray because what he has to say is straight and to the point. Lead on, Macduff. You made every word live, son. Now let's see if George and Brooksy can do as much for Abner. Oh, that's them pulling up in front of the sheriff's office. Well, that's the sheriff's office, George. Yeah. Sure needs a coat of paint, all right. But I guess this is the place that dopey guy on the telephone... Hey! Hey! That's you, Valentine? Yeah. Only where in the name... The alley, George. Here. Right here. Hurry up. Don't let anybody see you. Okay. You're Abner, huh? But I thought you said you were locked up inside... Right, sure, lady. Transferred all of us here when the jail burned down. Only now I'm... I'm nuts, see? Well, how did you get out? They turned us loose. I just dropped into town for a little game. A slight flutter of the pasteboards and wham, they picked me up. But the way they treat you in this town, you'd think you'd murdered a whole city block. We got in the way and they turned us loose. I don't blame them. Kicked me out and told me to get out of town without even giving me a free meal. Can you imagine? There ain't no justice. Oh, now listen, Buster. I drove four hours just so I could try to make sense out of what you said on the phone. Sure, sure, sure. So let me tell you just what... Oh, no, you don't. I'll tell you. We stopped at the scene of the fire on our way in. You weren't lying. There was a fire. Well, that's what Furthermore, I... a man, a prisoner who was hauled in last night, another big, uh, gentleman like yourself, didn't get out. He died in that fire. It's plain to see you got the facts. But I don't know his name. Nobody knows his name. Sure, sure. But it was a plain, simple death, so far as anybody knows. So, Abner, whatever you know had better be... He good. was dead before the fire. What? You heard me. In a big, jammed-up cell... Conditions are terrible here, I tell you. In that big, snoring mass of men, that guy was already dead as a mackerel. How do you know? Because when the fire started, I tried to rescue him, that's why. Because I put my hands on him and shook him and practically got frozen for my trouble. Body cold as ice, I tell you. All right. All right, we get the idea. Why didn't you tell the police? Because they're mixed up in it, that's why. In some way... I tell you, in this town, they got a chief of police. Oh, now, wait a minute. His name's McNabb, and he's cruel crooked as a cactus. For instance, you know what? He beats me, hauls me into his office and beats me. You don't believe me. 
Ask Hank. Hank, come over here. Hank? He was there. He knows. Hello, everybody. <laughs> Hank, huh? I beg your pardon? Whiskers do not measure a man, nor the patches in his pants. How do you do? Pleasure, young lady. Pleasure indeed. Now listen, Mr. Valentine. Hank here was visiting my humble abode. Humble abode? A small place, not too elegant. As for that big guy, the guy who died, we did entertain him. Hank and I invited him to share our diggings a couple of days Don't ago. Don't exaggerate, Abner. Your room is a dump. And you didn't even know the guy's name. I remember you said hello, and I said hello, and he says, oh, fascinating fellow. What do you know about his death, Hank? It's just what Abner's told you, I suppose. I, it's no skin off my neck. I don't like people who won't talk. I doubt if even he said three words to the cop who threw him in. You mean when he was arrested? Rounded up a whole bunch of us. Guess they do it every Saturday night in this town. That's the cross we have to bear. And I may say a draft to your jail cell. Now I've listen, never... that guy didn't die of no cold. He didn't look any too well. I wouldn't be surprised if the fright and the excitement of the fire... It was a treatment he got, I'm telling you, the rough way that what they had... What rough treatment? What kind of stuff are you guys trying Beat to Beat you, that's what they do. Round you up. Say, change your clothes and into the tank you go. No chance to argue or nothing. I tell you that McNabb's a regular guest stop all oh, the way to... Oh, get off the soapbox, Abner. Live and let live. Take it easy. There's no excitement. Okay, Abner, okay. Where do I find this chief of police? Oh, no. Oh, no, you don't. I'm not going to come within five miles I of I wouldn't that... ask you to. Hey, you, Hank, come on, lead the way. How did I get dragged into this? <laughs> Quit kicking, friend. I could ask the same question myself. So they say he died somehow before the fire, is that right? Yes, Chief, they said that... Now, wait just a minute how you use that word, they. It's Abner who says... Oh, get out of here. Go on, beat it. Look out, Chief, don't hit me. What? What did you say? Well, I haven't done anything, and when you talk like that, Abner will say... Go on, Hank, go on. We, We don't need you. Well, well, sure, if you say so. I didn't mean any harm. Pleasant morning to you, Chief. There's a wreck of a man. Big words, little work. Well, what are you looking at me like that for? I suppose you expect me to hit people, too. All right, now just take it easy, Chief, will you? I know what kind of a guy Abner is. But uh, I also saw that jail that burned. And it wasn't exactly a model one for as big a town as this. Uh, Sure, sure, my fault. Blame it on the Chief. Wouldn't have anything to do with how much money the town gives me to run this force, would it? Skip it, would you? There was no connection between the fire and that other bum's death. Uh-huh. Unless somebody set the fire in order to get rid of some evidence, like a, a blow or a bullet, just in case that death wasn't natural, I mean. Oh, but George, that doesn't make any sense. All that trouble just to get rid of some unknown, a man nobody cared about. Now, or... look, both of you, I want to... Excuse wanted... me, Chief. Oh, get out of here, Sergeant. I thought you ought to see that dead guy's clothes. Oh, what? Well, here, for the wing of the jail that wasn't burned. Where they changed. Hey, you mean what he was wearing when he was thrown in? Here, let me see that. I'll do that, mister. Ah, 11 cents change, eh? <laughs> Big man. Typical vagrant, I tell you. He was just... Oh, no, a... here, Chief. Piece of paper. So many on a Saturday night, we don't really have time to go over them, you well, know. Let me see that. Hmm. Mr. Walter F. Smith. Who? Yeah, mystery solved, Chief. That's his name, apparently. Uh... Suggest you stick pretty closely to plenty of milk. Leave out too much starch. 
Be careful of pepper or any seasoning. What? What's in it? That's all. Some doctor's name, Kansas City. Yeah, diet list, Chief. So he was just a nobody, huh? Oh, no. Well, what's the matter? I should think that would help you. Chief just realizes he might be in a worse spot than ever, right, McNabb? Very smart, Valentine. You catch on real quick. Negligence, Angel. If there was anything wrong with this guy, then the police should have found out about it. Maybe he needed help instead of a cell. Go on, get out of here. I got work to do. Oh, wait a minute, sir. There's something else. Now, look, Sergeant, you've caused enough trouble yourself for one day. I'm sorry, Chief, but over at the morgue, there's a woman. She says she's Mrs. Walter F. Smith. His wife? Well, I I guess, or, or used to be. Anyway, she's been looking for him several months. Read about this in the newspaper. Just flew into town on a hunch to look at the body. Flew in? The wife of a typical nobody? Uh, I mean, you better see her, Chief. I mean, she wears a mink coat. Of course, there's nothing I can tell you. What could I tell you? Don't be ridiculous. I'm going back to my hotel. Look, I know how you feel, Mrs. Smith. I don't know whether he was ill or not. I don't know anything about him lately. But the chief of police asked. I'm sorry. I've been through enough seeing Walter there like that. Mrs. Smith, if you don't. My taxi's waiting. I'm sorry. Which hotel? Better go. Leave her alone. Ah. Sure. Where's a mink coat? Wife of a bum. Well, we asked her to stay until. I wanted to see what the teletype check said on his name, that's all. Well. Walter F. Smith is wanted by the law. What? Embezzlement. Well, all right, what are you so sour about? If his death was the police's fault in any way, it's better for you than if he was a respectable citizen. Hold still, I'll give you the facts. Have fun with them. In addition to Smith, his loot of $200,000 is also wanted. Do you suppose someone found out what he did with it and then murdered him last night? There you go, having fun already. Take it easy, Chief. At least you're off the hook. So now everybody else is up to something, that's all. As Abner puts it, there ain't no justice. Our boy Valentine sounded a little burned up when he said there ain't no justice. And he's right. Where's the body he always stumbles on long about now? This could ruin his reputation. You know, I'd ask my friend here to drop dead, except I know he has something pretty good to tell you. get back and see if George's temper has improved. Not that I blame him. Abner would make anybody see red. If you remember, Abner is the old coot that accused Chief of Police McNabb of barbecuing a fellow prisoner by burning down the pokey. As an added touch, Abner swears the victim was dead before he got the hot foot. Then to make matters more complicated, the chief discovers the body belonged to a Walter Smith, who was wanted for taking 200 grand that didn't belong to him. Complicated? You bet. But George has it figured. He says it's murder. Even so, I think I'd better lend our boy a hand as he starts asking questions around town. I have a landlady, George. Walter Smith came to town a couple of days ago. You must have noticed something about him, or he must have had some baggage that you... I'm a working woman, Mac. I don't have time to sit around and gab with the guests. I just thought he was a drifter like the rest of them, that's all. And he had no baggage. 
I can tell you that in one word. No baggage. Two words. But you notice baggage, huh? Keep your eye out for that sort of thing? I gotta protect it, you know. Don't want nothing stolen from the gas. Uh-huh. Nothing in his bureau? Oh, spare shirt, maybe. How should I know? I'm telling you like I told McNabb. Smith was here, but I didn't notice him until he wasn't here. Last night. And somebody said he was in jail. Who said? Guy named Abner. Seemed all upset. Oh, yeah. They're rounding up Abner again. Ain't that interesting. Look, if you're through nosing Here's your newspaper. Huh? Yeah, it's today's newspaper. Room hasn't been occupied since yesterday. And, uh, I don't know who else would read the fashion page around here. Thanks. Now, you've been going through this room. What did you find? Nothing. Gee, 200,000 bucks they say he's got someplace. But I'm telling you, not a thing, not any baggage, not nothing. You expect me to believe that? George. Yeah, in here, Brooksy. George, I can't find you. Oh, if you're looking for me, dearie... Mrs. I'm... Smith, his wife. I tried every hotel in town. That taxi driver who drove her away from the morgue? Well, the police had already located the driver. He says he dropped her off downtown here in the business section. Oh. Oh, what are you two talking about? You know something I don't? I doubt it. Come on, Angel. I've learned all I need to. So it wasn't the fault of the big, bad police, Valentine. I just talked long distance to that doctor in Kansas City, the one whose name was on the diet chart. What'd you find out, Chief? There was nothing really wrong with Smith's health. He was one of them hypochondriacs. You know, warriors, pill-takers. Doc finally booted him out. All right, all right. So the police are pure. Did you locate that Abner for me? I haven't done anything for you. But I'll take you down to a garage if you want. A garage? Huh? Smith's wife. She went down to this garage and rented a car. Only now the car's back and she's disappeared. I don't know where she went when she took the car. But didn't you see Mrs. Smith when she came back to your garage? Oh, she was gone about an hour, I guess. Anyways, I didn't notice the car till just a few minutes ago, parked here in the alley. Yeah, it's been someplace with a lot of dust. I got the sergeant around combing the town for her. She's back. She's got to be around someplace. You're sure about that? Why not? Well, I didn't have much luck. And I must have been looking after she came back. 22 miles. What? Well, you set the speedometer back to zero when you hire a car out, don't you? Well, that's right. So, wherever she went, it was 11 miles out and 11 miles back. Mm, with all that dust, too. Now, look, a piece of sagebrush. What's ticking in your head? Most of the roads around here are paved. There's only a couple this of... This is grape country, irrigated most of it, so how did that sagebrush get there? Come on, hop in my car. I'll show you. This is the third and last road. Ten and a half miles. Yeah, plenty of sagebrush on this one. Yeah, old double-A place. Sold out and cut the water off. Hey, wait a minute. Huh? What's that building over there? Abandoned winery. Only the mileage... Wait a minute, hold it. Stop. Tracks. Right there. See them turning off? Yeah. Only there's two cars. Yeah, there's one right there. What? An old pickup truck, see? Beyond the building. Hey, hey, you! It's Abner and Hank, George. Hey! Look out, skip it! Abner! Wait for me, Abner. I didn't do anything. Stop, both of you. Get away from that truck. Wait, Abner. We haven't done anything, my boy. Stop or I'll shoot. Come on! Hey, slow down, Hank. I'm not doing anything. Okay, Hank, your friend left you, that's all. Oh, cut it out, McNabb. He got away. Let him go. 
But if I don't get after him right now... Abner was just looking for you, Mr. Valentine. We just got here. A garage man told him you were out trying some roads or something, so he borrowed the truck and grabbed me along. Skip it. Radio the highway patrol, McNabb. They'll get him. And take Miss Brooks into town for me. What? Who do you think is chief of police in this I've town? I've told her what I want. Uh, help me. I hurt my foot a little. Okay, okay. I'll take care of Hank here. Only get your car away from here, McNabb. Quick. Okay. All right. Cool off, Hank. We'll just wait. In the shade. If we can find anything. are we going to wait, Mr. Valentine? Oh, relax. Relax, Hank. Sun will set in a couple of hours. A couple of hours. Then it'll be just as bad. Gets real cold out here in the evening. Goes through your bones. I don't know how I got into this crazy... Yeah, sure I know. Abner brought you out here with him, huh? Abner got me into this because he already had a little idea who Smith really was. Is that check? I guess so, Mr. Valentine. I don't know. Sure, sure. You were all in jail together. Abner thought maybe I could help point him toward the money, is that right? I guess he thought that because Mrs. Smith came out here, well, then the money was out here, too. Yeah, yeah. It might be. Uh, You really think so? Well, in that case, while everybody's gone, maybe you and I... No, 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 it's too hot. No, we'd never find it, Hank. Let the police worry. Abner doesn't trust McNabb. That's why he took off. I know it. But he'll be back, looking for the money. Uh, look, Mr. Valentine, was this guy Smith murdered? I don't know. Holy smoke. Maybe he killed himself. Well, it could have happened. Only it doesn't tie with anything very well. Uh, come on, we're losing our shade. Let's move. Maybe Smith was just not in too good health and kicked off. A man has to take care of himself. Yeah, you're right. Ah, here's a good place. The winery? Yeah. Ought to be cool inside here, don't you think? Okay. Boy, it's dark. What's in the name of... Hey, what happened? Did you fall? I'm all right. Look. I tripped. Look. Mrs. Smith... The body of Mrs. Smith. Oh, thank goodness, at last a body. Too bad it had to be Mrs. Smith. But you know the old saying, here today and ghoul tomorrow. Anyway, while George is getting to the bottom of this, I want my friend here to dish a little off the top. You know, there's an ironic twist to this story. It all takes place in a town called Melody. As far as I can see, it's been one discord after another. And this fellow Hank isn't helping matters with his off-key baritone. Look, I don't like it around here, and it's cold even in here. I told you it'd be cold tonight. Quiet, will you? Don't make so much noise. But she's been dead a long time. Get over the head. Yeah, I can see for myself. 
So somebody else drove the car back. She drove out and somebody else drove it back. That's more like it. Well, I'm getting nervous. Somebody will be back here. Yeah, you're right. All we know about her is that her husband left her. He was hiding out, posing as a bum. So she came after him to get the money. Do you mean to say the money was here? I mean, I've caught on to this case, that's all. Mrs. Smith didn't know where her husband was. How could she know where the money was if he was dead before she got to town? Oh, for the love of... Okay, okay, I'll stop talking, Riddles. You hear that? Yeah. We got company. Get back in here. He can't see us. Hold it. McNabb. Valentine? Oh, yeah, right here, Chief. Oh, holy smoke, Chief. We thought you might be somebody else. Where's Miss Brooks? Out in the car. We haven't located Abner yet. Did you two find what I told Brooksy about? Yeah. Pills, medicines, a small drugstore. Okay, where was it? First place you suggested. But I doubt if it'll do much good as evidence. I know it, but I got a better idea. Go on back to the car. Okay, sure. Say, what's the idea? <laughs> what's so funny? Well, you might not see the joke, Hank. Uh, sit down. We're going to wait some more. For days, if we have to. Wait? What for? A confession. What? Yeah, a man named Smith was a fugitive from the law and from his wife, too. Had money and plenty of trouble. And worst of all, he was sure he was sick. So the money couldn't give him much fun, could it? End result? He was hiding on Skid Row when he got an idea. Why not die? Look, I'm... I'm cold. And I'm so dying he of did. Riddles. He did. He did just that. He died. Of murder. And afterwards set fire to the jail he was in, so his body couldn't be examined too what? closely. He what? And it all worked beautifully until his wife showed up. She kept her mouth shut when she saw the body. But afterwards must have spotted Smith herself, and so he brought her out here and he killed her. Probably told her the money was here, when really I suppose it's stashed away in Kansas City or anyplace else. I'll say you don't know anything. You, you're oh, so I mixed up. Oh, I when I found Smith's room had no baggage. That's where the pill taker's private drugstore should have been. But of course it wasn't. They were with your stuff, Walter F. Smith. That's where McNabb found it. Oh, is that so? Yeah, the man you killed was just a poor penny any gambler. A man you knew hardly ever opened his mouth. No one knew anything about him. He'd never be missed. So you knocked him over the head, I suppose, when all the rest of the men were asleep. I don't know what you're talking about, Mr. Valentine. And then you put that diet chart in his clothes. Oh, not a bad stunt. Make the police think they might have done a pretty terrible thing. Make them want to cover it up and keep it quiet. I won't admit any of it. There's nothing you can do to Oh, me. Buster, what an ironic spot you sit on. Oh, you're cold? Oh, well, come on, let's have a brandy. You know, I remember the items on that diet list. Milk, no pepper, just bland stuff. So the guy it was written for must have been worried about his stomach. Come on, Hank, have a brandy. Little sharp, maybe, kind of strong for some stomachs, maybe, but for you it'll... I don't want it. Too bad you didn't have the sense to stay away from here. Just curious, I guess. Shut huh? up, shut up. Uh, look, Mr. Smith, if all I've said isn't true, well, go ahead, have a drink. There's nothing wrong with you. The diet chart wasn't shut yours. Up. And after you're really hungry, we'll go in for a nice spicy Mexican dinner, maybe. There'll be no excuse for you not to eat it, will there be? Cut this out! After all, you're okay. You can eat anything. Go on, have no, a drink. You, no, no, no. You, you. All right, come on, Mr. Smith. Miss Brooks will take it down in shorthand. And then we're going back to town and find Abner. And see how he can take some gentle persuasion. Uh. 
Abner, I want you to get out of Melody and keep going. And right now... Now, look out. Don't you hit me again, Chief. Oh, I've never hit you. Nobody on my force has ever... Abner, listen, will you? The Chief here is all right. With a little publicity on this case, maybe the town will wake up and give him the money his department needs. But, uh, Abner, I am not a cop. I'd be glad to hit you. No, no, you wouldn't. That's what you think. I don't like being played for a sucker, so start moving. Now, look, I mean, I know I did a lot of lying to get you into the case. I figured we could make some dough together. I mean, Here I... goes. No, no, no. <laughs> thanks, friend, thanks. That guy sure was a headache. Oh, don't mention it. Okay, Brooksy, let's go. All right, George. So long, McNabb. So long. Well, where you been, Angel? Seems to me you kind of dropped out of things. Miss me? Hmm? Oh, well, I, I was busy with the case. Never mind. I... As Abner used to say, there ain't no justice. Say, did you ever see a dream walking? Maybe not, but you just saw a bell burning. Brooksy. And if she'll be good enough to hold that torch she's carrying a little closer, I'll be able to read that Robert Bailey plays George Valentine with Virginia Gregg as Brooksy. Don Clark directed the script by David Victor and Jackson Gillis, and Eddie Dunstetter's music kept things blazing. I'd like you to make a mental note right now to save a half hour for us next time when you will hear what happens when you let George do it. back with old time radio essentials this is pete with paul and dave uh that was an episode of let george do it from syndication probably around 1954 or 55 and now dave since it was your pick this time tell us please oh please please, oh, please. tell us <laughs> why did you pick this particular uh, uh uh series and episode well okay so first off you know i have a soft spot for the noir I do love no. some detective. Yes, some some good detective. <laughs> Never would I have guessed this uh, at any time. How do you know this thing is true? <laughs> uh, so and and this was this was delicious, delicious uh, uh, noir detective goodness from top to bottom. The, the the thing that struck me about this, several things stood out for me. First of all, that very mellow narrator guy who frames things. I say, hey, let me tell you how this is going. Hey, you know, George is having, he's kind of hot under the collars. Like, I'm going to go help this guy out, blah, blah, blah. He, I've never heard that before. Or if I have, I've never heard it done quite so chill. It was just very smooth, very cool. And it took me a while to realize that the, the version that we were listening to uh, uh, had the commercials removed. Uh, uh, the guy was queuing up the commercial that would come in next. Uh, uh, and I was kind of, why isn't anything? Oh, I figured that out. But I loved that aspect. I love the framing of the episodes with this, this other character who clearly there's something going on here. This guy knows stuff. He isn't, he's, he's not just a, a bland narrator voice. 
He's a guy who's invested. He's got a backstory. He's got a name. We never know what it is, but there was something about that was just, it really caught my attention. Um, the story was excellent. The story, it, it was legit. It kept me going from beginning to end. It was, it was, it was a little convoluted. There was, there was a lot going on there, but it all came together at the end. And I, in listening to it a couple of times, I realized there's no way I could have solved the mystery without help from George getting the clues that he got at the end, which is the classic trope of, of the somebody whispering in the detective's ear, aha, this puts all the pieces together. Let me tell you how it all comes together. But I felt like I could have. There was enough going on here. There was enough uh, back and forth and, and uh, uh, engagement and clue gathering that it was like, I could have figured that. I think I could have figured that out if I had just had just a little more time, uh, which was fun. It, was, it felt like, you know, I was invested. It wasn't, it, I, I didn't feel like I was a complete uh, uh, observer that I could actually participate in the thing. Um, the dialogue was brilliant. The script was awesome. The 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 performances were top shelf. <laughs> the, the sound effects, meh. Uh, <laughs> there was, there were good sound effects, but they they very much were being performed in a room. The room boom, especially when people were way off in the distance and they were shouting, you could hear the echo of the room, even though they were supposed to be in the middle of the desert. And it's like, yeah, okay, all right, fine. Uh, but other than that, um, I just, I really enjoyed the script, the story, the, the whole aesthetic. It seemed very polished, very well presented and well performed, good storytelling, good noir. I just, I really was very taken with this episode and it made me want to listen to more in the series. What about you, Paul? <laughs> I thought it was fun. I just enjoyed it. I mean, it put a smile on my face, you know? Yeah. So, some of those other ones, you're really just kind of listening. It's, oh, it's film noir. It's deep. It's heavy. It's, <laughs> it's kind of like, you know, treacle on, you know, burnt coffee or something. But this was just, this was just fun, you know? And I enjoyed it. And the characters' voices, I, I really enjoyed those. Don't hit me. <laughs> Come on, Sheriff. Don't hit me. You know? And uh, the other guy, don't lay a hand upon me, though. You know, I mean, I like those. Just the character voices made this whole thing more fun. And the storyline was very good. And the guy, okay, that announcer you were talking about with that really just mellow voice. Either of you guys ever listened to Dr. Demento? Yeah, parts of it. I don't think the whole, I never I'm, caught a whole episode of it, but I've I've heard it. I've heard of it, we've but got never like, listened. We've got like the anthology, all the, you know, the, just the songs from it, right? And right. one was uh, uh, a Dragnet spinoff, and the yeah. one guy in there who just he's like the straight laced guy, and he's just talking, like, "Hey, you want to come over? We're gonna have supper. We're gonna have some of this and some of that and some green onions. Some people call them scallions, but they're really green onions." Oh, and that's he just Stan got Freeberg. That's a Stan Freeberg sketch, is it? Yeah, because the way he was delivering that sounded just like that narrator. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? Kind of thing going on. Yeah. <laughs> That's classic Stan Freeberg right there. But it was very enjoyable. Um, yeah. at, you know, you guys are much more sophisticated than I am. I know that comes as a complete shock to our listeners, but I'm more of the uh, just the guy. And 
so I, I either like it or I don't. So and you watch the Super I like Bowl this one for because the game, just, right? Huh? You watch the Super Bowl for the game, right? There's a game? <laughs> but uh I watch oh, it for the commercials and the and the halftime show. But you want to know something that they're even taking the 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 uh thunder away from the commercials now. Just about everybody is releasing them online before the Super Bowl. That was the whole thing with the commercials was, oh, what's it going to be? Who? It's, it's a surprise. Well, now it's not. So who cares? So I guess there's a game. <laughs> so anyhow, this was a fun episode. I just enjoyed it from beginning to end. Uh, like I said, the way the characters interacted with each other. It was enjoyable. There you go. Pete. Okay. So everything you guys liked about it, I thought was stupid. <laughs> uh, George George Valentine is one of those infallible characters. You know, he 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 doesn't make any mistakes. He immediately catches everything. He doesn't say, "Gee, this is just driving me crazy. I can't figure it out." No, he's not like that. He hears something and he immediately puts two and two together and he figures it out. I hate characters like that. He didn't get bumped on the head. He didn't get beat up. He didn't uh, like go down a dark alley and get shot at. Nothing like that. He's in, this story could have happened without him, is what I'm saying. So I didn't like it so much. And and that narrator, that that announcer, oh God, is like, hey, how's it going? I'm super pervy. Yeah. <laughs> no. Did you say super pervy? Super you pervy. Say super pervy. Oh, okay. Yeah. I did not like that guy's voice. I didn't, and then so and 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 that's the that was what they had to put in for 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 the syndication, I guess, because they couldn't say this is WABC, blah blah blah, New York, and they just had this guy doing introducing doing the outro and the intro, and they uh, could drop the in any commercials they needed. Yeah, they could drop in local stuff um, yeah. wherever they had it. But uh, uh, yeah, I did like the the supporting characters the sheriff the the abner and the, and the old guy who turned out to be the the villain the the actual embezzler yeah. but i saw that particular plot line coming a mile away once the wife showed up and said that her husband and identified him as her husband even though he was burnt burnt to a crisp in the in the jail fire i knew that somebody else was going to be showing up as the real guy and it and then eventually i figured out it's the old guy because they said the guy who died was a hypochondriac and then you had the old guy what his name was not abner hank. but hank. hank was saying constantly complaining about how he hurt and how something you know he couldn't do something so then you know then george comes in at the end and <laughs> See, and that's what I'm saying. Threatens him with a Mexican out. dinner. <laughs> there were there were clues that you could put stuff together. I thought yeah. that was kind of cool. So that cinched it for me that it was it was Hank when he was doing all that, you know, threatening him with brandy and a Mexican dinner. No, no, don't eat, don't make me eat tacos. <laughs> new new interrogation techniques. For yes, indeed. Yes. <laughs> so for me, it was it was entertaining, but there were a lot of annoying things about it. And uh, I've listened to a, a, just a couple of these. So um, I love the voice of Bob Bailey, who later, you know, or maybe earlier, I forget what where he, where he stands in the timeline. He also played Johnny Dollar for several years. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, which we haven't, I don't think we've touched on, on that series yet. 
So somebody needs to, somebody needs to bring in yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Probably Dave because oh, probably <laughs> he's so happy with the noir. Uh, but I would say there there were some things about it that uh, I guess could have been better. It's it's tough to say. They should have just revamped him as a guy who trips and falls and and gets hit on the head and and stuff. But I guess that makes him unique because <laughs> he doesn't. Yeah, <laughs> there there is the, the the whole Mary Sue aspect to him. But yeah, uh, uh, maybe they considered him more of a entry level hard boiled detective, so that way <laughs> he kind of like led the people by the hand well, more through the story instead of having you go. I have no idea what's going on. Pete actually a, raises a good point. I mean, that the opening stinger is danger is my stock and trade. And it's like, there was no danger in this episode at all. <laughs> there was a lot of questions, a lot of sleuthing. He might have got sunburned. He might have gotten sunburned or, or frostbite <laughs> at night in the desert. I yeah, stubbed my but... toe really badly when I <laughs> when I when I when I tripped over the dead woman on the floor. Uh, yeah, that was Hank. That wasn't even our detective. Oh, right, right. Yeah. So yeah. So fair, fair point on that. I will, I will, yeah. I will grant you that. There wasn't a lot of danger. There wasn't. There was for some, the only shots that were fired. I think was the sheriff shooting after Abner as he drives yeah, off. Who was unarmed? Yes. Yeah. 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 But at least he didn't beat him. He shot right. at him. He shot but at he him, but him. He didn't lay a hand on him. Yeah. 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 And and he made a point. He said, "I've never hit you before, <laughs> but, but I could have killed you with he, a he bullet." Where <laughs> Abner said, "I'd rather be beaten than shot at." <laughs> Fair point. <laughs> yeah. Anybody else have anything on that? No. No. Okay. Let's vote. What are we voting on, dear listener? As a reminder, we are voting on one whether this particular episode is a true representative installment of the overall series, and B whether or not it is a standalone show that belongs in every radio aficionado's collection. And again, Dave, since this was your selection, please go first. Go I... first. Go first. No, go- Go first. Call me first, and I will go. <laughs> you go um, first. <laughs> go all right. Second, I will. Colin Firth. Third. Um, I, okay, so when I said I I wanted to listen to more episodes in this series, uh, I wanted to. I haven't yet, uh, but I very much want to. It made me want to do that. So as to is this indicative uh, uh, of the ins- uh, an indicative installment of the overall series? I don't know, but I hope so. Because, like I say, I enjoyed it immensely. So I will, I will vote yes. It is representative in hopes that it actually is. Uh, uh, so I'm, I'm voting sort of yes a Zen on that. vote there. The- yes, yeah, sort of, sort of a, a a preemptive yes in anticipation of be enjoying more episodes in this series. The enjoyment uh, that could be there. Indeed, this Schrodinger's enjoyment. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> I put this radio episode in a box. It could be enjoyable. It might not be. It might not. We won't know until we open the damn box. Uh, as for uh, does it belong in every radio aficionado's collection? I don't know. Because I enjoyed it, I, I'm i going to say yes, just because it, in my experience with old-time radio drama, and and the shows that you guys have treated me to through my participation in this fabulous podcast, it does stand out as a unique inst- uh, 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 installation of this genre, of this type of storytelling uh, in my mind. It's definitely, like I said, it was good story, good performances, uh, uh, and, and 
yeah, this is something that if it came up, if I was listening to Spotify and and I had a random rotation and this came up in my Spotify playlist, I'd be going, yes, excellent. I'm ready for this. So so I'm going to say yes. I'm going to say yes and yes to, okay. to both. Paul what about you, Paul? I enjoyed it. And uh, like I said before, because it's it wasn't too heavy. It was kind of like <laughs> the the old time radio version of Jello. You know, there's always room for Jello, kind of thing. And for people, fate praise J E L L O. What'd you think of it? It was like Jello. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, you got it for goes people down who listen to a lot of OTR, you know, and they're and listening to some of the heavier ones, you know. This is kind of like I'm kind. I feel like listening to something, but I don't want to have to think about it. I just want to just sit back and listen and enjoy myself. So I can see where they might break this one out and listen to. Because like I said, you know, you don't want to get all wrapped up and, you know, with all the danger that didn't happen and stuff like that. <laughs> so they can just, he's going to be okay. It'll be all right. Just relax. Uh, and I, um, I think it was. We've been on the hiatus for a little bit, and I, I don't remember if this started because Dave said he was going to do this one, or if while I was looking over something for my next pick that I came across, let George do it. But I downloaded the thing, and I listened to a few of the episodes, not a lot, but just a few of them, and it is pretty indicative of how the series goes. Excellent. So, but like I said, good it's, guess there, Dave. Good guess. Yeah. <laughs> Score. Quality has a scent, and I caught that scent. Yes, <laughs> so it doesn't really. It, it's not a lot of heavy, heavy lifting for your brain, so it's enjoyable. Don't take it much further than that. You know, it's it's not going to be like if you're trying to introduce somebody into the importance of old time radio by giving it some of the the pillars of its success. This is what we hold aloft and show you as a prime example. You wouldn't use this one, but so, it was so still Paul, enjoyable. What are your votes, dude? Oh, yeah, the votes. Oh, I yeah, that those, too, I? right. Yeah, I liked it. So, yes, two thumbs up. Both, both yes, it's indicative, and yes, it belongs in, in yes. the collection. Okay. Yeah, why not? It, I mean, like I said, everybody needs some jello in their shelf every now and then. <laughs> Okay, so what me? was uh, Jello to Pauly is Pablum <laughs> to me. Pablum, um, hey, that goes well with Jello, and 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 not too hard on your digestion. So, um, I would say that uh, I I would want to listen to the non syndicated ones to see if that same announcer guy is there, and if he isn't, I'll probably like it a whole lot more. Um, but but I imagine I already anticipated that in order to do a, a radio series they had to have a formula around which they built each episode so i would say that each one of these episodes that you listen to is going to have the same formula the um customer arrives the client arrives uh there's some give and take there's some banter between brooksy and uh who is like non-existent in this one she she was in at the beginning and, and then at the end we never heard from her again. And she Brooksy, was in there. She, yeah, she was in there a little in, bit. Beginning and the end, but not much in the middle. And um, then there's this happens, this happens, this happens, this happens, and then the climax. So I would say that it probably is, like Dave, 
says, and why shouldn't we agree with Paul since he's listened to more than we have, that it is a representative installment. And uh, I would say uh, whether or not it's a standalone show, not this one. No, Uh, (laughs) there are too many dislikes for me to say yes to uh, to be. Um, So that's for me. So it's you two are for it. I'm I'm again it. But uh, that's just the way things go in in this in the show. I can't, well, I it gave me. Um, I knew what I was in for during the opening when they were saying the bit about let George do it. When they're going, are you missing the international plans for the nuclear reactor? No, it's like, is your lawnmower missing? <laughs> that, Did you let oh your, your yeah, that your neighbor so borrowed your lawnmower two years ago. You haven't got it back. Let George do it. I'm thinking, good <laughs> compelling God. narrative that would be. Yeah, I'm like George. That's I don't know. Like recommendation my recycling for, down to the curb. Detective. Well, it's a great ad. Great ad. What did Abner say? I saw the ad. It's a great ad. Yeah. It's like, really? You're missing a lawnmower. Okay. Great. <laughs> Danger <laughs> is my business. Don't beat me. Yeah. Right. Oh, God. Well, folks, this brings us to the end of episode 36. Or if you live in a parallel universe, episode 11 of season three with Paul Arbisi, Pete Lutz, and me, Dave Robison. We're all very happy that you joined us. Yes. And now we hope you'll join us again next time because it'll be Paul's turn again, which is our season three finale. And what's your selection, Paulie? Are we sending season three out with a bang? I am going to introduce us to a series called Counter Spy. I'm going to make it a surprise as to what episode I'm going to deliver to you guys and offer up to the altar of OTRE. But it's a, we'll see how it plays out. I'm trying to find something that's up there in quality to like your Orson Welles stuff or Harry Red Beaver. You know, I'm just trying to figure out where it's going to land. If it falls somewhere in between, I'll be happy. <laughs> that is, that I don't is want anything spectrum. on the other side of Harry Red Beaver, if you know what <laughs> I mean. Yeah. Yes, we've established that as the parameter, the far extreme end of that <laughs> spectrum. Yes, very good. We've been there, we've done that. Oy. Well, I... I'm looking forward to that discussion, Paul. And now, before we wind up, I want to ask if anybody has anything new to report. Dave, Paul, anything? I I continue to uh, be working the the narrator gig uh, for Homes.com, which has been a great deal of fun and and quite lucrative, I might add. I've got uh, a couple of, uh, uh, I'm approaching a couple of agencies and a couple of agents. I have some feelers out in that direction, hopefully to, uh, uh, to kick me into something a little bit more uh, uh, aggressively performative rather than narrative. We shall see, but, uh, but other than that, things are things are moving along up. Great. And by the way, I did listen to uh, uh, Doctor Feather and Mister Tar or whatever it was. Um, <laughs> right, and, and, right. And I really enjoyed your take on that. Is it, it was good? Thank so you. Congratulations yeah. on that. I appreciate that. What do you, you got mind. going on, Paul? Um, one of the podcast that i or audio dramas that i help out with i'm uh, lucky enough to be part of the semi-regular crew is madison on the air and they're having their second anniversary right now and uh they're doing the wizard of oz 
And uh, lucky me, I get to play the cowardly lion. Oh, 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 oh. That's perfect. That's very cool. cool. My tail. Oh, oh. Awesome. And so that was a <laughs> lot of fun that doing that. Terrific. One. That does sound perfect. That's right. Ray Bolger, right? Ray Bolger Yep, played Ray the Bolger. Bert Lar. No, Bert Lar. Uh, Ray Bolger was the scarecrow. scarecrow. Uh, Bert Lar. That's right. Bert Lar. Perfect. Perfect. Bert Lar. Well done. Outstanding. Yeah. Well, good, good. Now, um, as for me, I, I want to say that uh, Paul can be heard in the latest episode of The Adventures of the Federated Tech, which is our Dashiell Hammett series. Paul plays a, a pretty good role in that. Uh, um, you'll enjoy that. He, he comes into the beginning of that episode. It's called One Hour, and you can find that at the uh, at the Narada Radio uh, site. That's part of season two of the series, and we've got, that's the third one. We've got uh, seven more episodes to go on that, and and Paul plays quite a number of different roles in the series. Uh, and uh, on a personal note, I'm happy to announce that um, either uh, at the same time this show will be launched or shortly after, my first book called Get Me Out of Here and Other Plays, uh, a baker's dozen of audio dramas, will be available for purchase. It's uh, 13 of uh, my original plays that uh, have come out over the years, and I'm very excited about it. It looks Dude, that's great. that's outstanding. Thank Congratulations. you. Congratulations. That's very it, cool. It's got plays like my uh, my Marx Brothers flavored uh, musical comedy called uh, Do I Spectre? I'll Say I Do. Uh, <laughs> it's got a Western, two Westerns, as a matter of fact, one about a hangman and one about a posse that goes after uh, some bank robbers and finds some, it's sort of a, a, a horror Western. That one is called Terror at Espantosa Lake, and it's based on an actual Texas legend about a girl who was raised by wolves. So this, I think I dated her. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, uh, it's it's a wide variety of um, of plays, comedies, dramas, mysteries, uh, and so on. And um, I'm very excited to have it come out. What I'm going to be doing is. Um, sending copies to or providing free copies to uh, all of the drama teachers I know, high school and university drama instructors uh, as a kind of a payback uh, for what I got out of drama in, in high school and, and, nice. and that sort of thing. So it's, it's like a little gift for, for these, these fine folks. That's they don't cool. get enough recognition as far as i'm concerned so i'm gonna give him my book as as punishment i mean as, as, as a thank you. i was just wondering where you were going good or bad <laughs> ladies and gentlemen i've suffered for my music now it's your turn my <laughs> god you were. i wrote this book and i presented to you you bastards <laughs> <laughs> um i've got uh what else uh quite a number of audio dramas in, in the mix that i'm working on besides federated tech I hope to finish my adaptation of Charade, which was the uh, the 1963 movie with Cary Grant and Audrey Hepburn. That's coming out. Uh, I know that you know Kareem Cronfley, Dave. Yeah. He's yes, playing the Cary Grant role, and he sounds terrific. Rhiannon McAfee, who was, who was in um, Les Miserables with all of us last summer, is playing the Audrey Hepburn role. And we've got quite a few others who are uh, really doing some wonderful stuff for us. Uh, so that's coming out. And, and a lot of stuff I won't go into because it's just so much. I'm busy, busy, busy. You are a busy good guy. Actually, can I just, one one thing I need to add on to, you had touched on uh, uh, the uh, the Edgar Allan Poe piece. Mm -hmm. 
And I just wanted to let listeners know um, that uh, the journey into podcast by Marshall Latham is what Pete was referring to. Uh, and every year, Marshall and Marshall Latham, the, the host and producer, uh, invites me to do an Edgar Allan Poe narration. Uh, and through that, I have been introduced to so many of Poe's fiction uh, works that I've never heard of, uh, let alone had the pleasure of enjoying. Uh, and I get to voice these things. So, and this one was the the most recent uh, installment of that. You can go to journeyintopodcast.blogspot.com or .com or .org, uh, uh, .com, blogspot.com, uh, and, and get the whole group out there, uh, the whole uh, uh, canon of of oh, and other things uh, that Marshall introduces through that feed. Nice. Thank you. All right. Now, Dave, Paul, tell the masses what they need to know. Old Time Radio Essentials is a production of 63 Audio, a proud member of the Mutual Audio Network. Subscribe on any podcatcher you may use by searching under Mutual Audio Network and or Narada Radio Company. Please follow us on the Twitter at Essentials Old and join our Facebook group, Narada Radio Company Productions. To get updates on upcoming episodes of this show, plus future audio dramas, if you want to suggest an episode, write us at F6.3 at gmail.com. That's the letter F, the number six. The word this is, this is radio. Man. We can't see your we can't see your hands. Oh crap! That's right. You can't imagine <laughs> me putting my fingers up, making an F. And now I'm holding. Okay, anyway. radio I'm holding up radio. three fingers. <laughs> and the letter F, the number six, the word point, and the number three at gmail.com. Put the word essentials in the subject line. Remember, folks, we are always happy to hear from our listeners. So please do send us feedback and suggestions. Uh, and if you, if you didn't catch uh, uh, their email when Paul spelled it out, rewind and sign language and listen again in sign language. Or better yet, just look for it in the show notes. Uh, let me see. Okay, it says here uh, in my notes that Pete hasn't come up with a show-specific email and that I'm not to give him a hard time about it. <laughs> yeah, right. That's going to happen. <clears throat> whatever, Dave. Whatever. <laughs> now, if you'd like to be a guest programmer on this show, it's so easy. Just send an email. That's all you got to do. Wait, wait, what? Wait, what? Right? And they That's don't need to know to programming. It? You got to no... make sure they know that. There's no jello involved. There's no carrier pigeons or landmines. No, I couldn't think of anything. Uh, <laughs> all right. It was late at night. A I wasted all my I wasted all of my energy on that opening thing with the backpack and the oyster or the, the ostrich leather. So that was energy well spent. That was that's brilliant. all you get. That Thank was you. marvelous. That was Thank marvelous. you very much. Yeah, okay. Yes, so send an email. Okay. Uh, I think we've wasted enough of these fine people's time. <laughs> all two people who might be listening. So let's wrap things up. Wow. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, Paulie. And I'm I'm going to thank our, our guest, Mark Miller, in advance, who I'll be talking to later on. Please join us next time for another fun installment of Old Time Radio Essentials. Bye-bye for now. See you guys. Bye-bye. Adios. <laughs> Thank you.
Well, folks, uh, we're going to introduce uh, our special guest for today. His name is Mark Miller. He's a novelist. He's put out a, a couple of books now, but the one we're going to talk about today is his most recent publication, The Two-Headed Lady at the End of the World. And ladies and gentlemen, please welcome uh, Mr. Mark Miller. Mark, how's it going? Oh, it's going great. You know, thank you so much for having me here. And I really appreciate your time. I'm looking forward to sharing this novel with the world. Well, great. Can you give us a thumbnail sketch of uh, of, of this novel, please? Yeah, so The Two-Headed Lady at the End of the World is a <laughs> romance novel, and I put romance in, in air quotes, uh, <laughs> about conjoined twins, uh, the men who love them, two soldiers stranded in a long-forgotten underground military base who have to come to terms with their growing feelings for one another, and the sentient artificial intelligence of the uh, in charge of America's nuclear weapons uh, who falls in love with a uh, with a Pentagon fax machine who doesn't <laughs> reciprocate his feelings. Uh, there's a whole lot going on. Yeah, it it's, sounds uh, like it's it. like uh, yeah, it, it's like Sweet Valley High meets Doctor Strangelove. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, so uh, Amanda and Miranda grow up in a small town in East Texas, uh, have high school loves that they can't really be with because, of course, uh, they're conjoined and it's you know just not working. Uh, they have a disastrous prom night, go to college, leave their hometown, make it big. As one of them is an antiques importer, and the other as a uh, as, as a website designer, and uh, they grow into adulthood and establish businesses, run into international intrigue, travel the world. It's a uh, it's quite an epic. But it sounds uh, like but, it. Uh, and, and it raises questions like how can they do both of those jobs? when they occupy the same body, does one sleep while the other's working and then vice versa? <laughs> exactly. They sleep in shifts. One of them takes the, uh, one of them takes the night shift and the other takes the day shift. <laughs> okay. Well, I guess if I had another head, it would be that that's yeah. the best way to do it. Good. That's okay. kind and, of a recurring joke. You know, it's kind of a recurring joke throughout when they returned to their high school reunion. It was like, well, what do you do for work? It's like, well, I man, you know, we found one of those Taco Bell KFC mashups and it works great because I manage the, the Taco Bell and she manages the KFC. You know, <laughs> you know, they, they thought they were only going to pay us one salary because they're only one of us, but there were two heads. So that's really two of us. But we compromised on one and a half, you know, because of the cold, dark death rip of capitalism. But <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I've read some excerpts that you sent me, and your prose is just compelling. It it just moves right along. Thank you so, much. so really, really well done. Uh, your dialogue is snappy and very, very funny, and um, the, the just the way everything is joined, juxtaposed is the good word. Uh, the the way everything yeah. is juxtaposed is uh, is terrific because you go from one to the other really good, like a a very fast moving pinball game almost. So um, excellent! Thank you. We so recommend much. I, it. That, I I highly recommend what I've read. If if the rest of it is what I've read, I, I highly recommend it. Uh, and and I understand you've got some uh, a, an excerpt that you'd like to read to us. Uh, yeah, I, I will. Uh, Miranda's asleep, and Amanda is uh, working uh, her job at the antiquities import that she has in Atlanta, Georgia, and she is uh, preparing for a date uh, tonight with a gentleman from her uh, from her dojo. Uh, who turns out to be uh, well? I won't give you a spoiler, but uh, but she's preparing for a date with Hunter Steele. But, oh, can uh, I inter interpose a question here? Do they both participate yeah. in the martial arts, or just one of them? Uh, no, no. Uh, Miranda's more of a dancer. Amanda's the fighter. Okay. Uh, <laughs> 
it's so yeah, great. They are completely opposite as far as, uh, you know, I mean, if, if you're going to conjoin two people in one body, you couldn't have chosen two people more dissimilar because they, you know, they even have opposing taste in men. So every love making session turns into like part critique. <laughs> <laughs> and are they a different age or were they actually twins? No, no, they're, they're, they're actual twins okay. uh, who are the same age. And, and they, and then they were joined by this, uh, this, uh, this particle accelerator accident. Okay. Uh, yeah, it'd, it'd be weird if they were different ages. So it's uh, right. <laughs> not that it's not weird that they're <laughs> Amanda seems to be the more mature one. And she often reminds her sister that she is older by all of two minutes. Uh, <laughs> great. All right. Well, let's hear this excerpt. Looking forward to it. <clears throat> Thank you. By lunch, Amanda was pacing the warehouse floor, thinking about her date with Hunter. As much as she wanted to maintain her facade of cool control, she was nervous. Still, as far as her employees knew, she was as calm as ever. Being a constant outsider had taught her to keep her cards close to her vest. She plowed through work trying to distract herself. She met with the owner of a Rolls-Royce dealership who wanted statuary that would give, quote, an appropriately stately air to the showroom, end quote. She handed him a few Polaroids of a collection of early 20th century pieces going on the auction block next week, and he was ecstatic. To kill time, she decided to contact the U.S. government. Amanda had been waiting on hold for almost 20 minutes before a U.S. Customs agent clicked through. David Barstow, U.S. Customs, how can I help you? He sounded tired, but professional. Greetings, Mr. Barstow. My name is Amanda Morgan, and I own an antiquities import in Atlanta, Georgia. I just wanted to alert you to the fact that we have received a shipment of 12 Yugos that were supposed to be statues. Uh-huh. I believe this is a matter of real concern. Yugos, you say, said Barstow. Amanda leaned forward in her chair and tried to project the importance of the moment in her voice. Yugos. Yugos. Amanda breathed an exasperated sigh. I know there's something going on. Hey, I remember that song, said Barstow. No, there's something nefarious going on. Involving Yugos, said Barstow. Gotcha. I don't feel that you're taking this seriously. You know what I'm serious about? Our budget's been cut. I haven't had a vacation in years, and even if I could take one, I couldn't afford it because the median income has not kept up with inflation since Nixon. How about that for nefariousness? Is that even a fucking word? Should be if it isn't. I'm sorry about your budget and your lack of vacations, but what about the Yugos? Try not to hit them from behind. Those are the ones that exploded, right? That was Pintos. Oh, yeah, Pintos. What a time to be alive. <laughs> I was poor but happy. God bless America. So you will look into it? Oh, yeah, sure. Should have some time come October. We'll get right on it. Amanda hung up. Well, that was 42 minutes down. And then I have another excerpt I will skip forward when they are actually at their 30-year high school reunion in Wambi, Texas, uh, which is a real town. Is and, it? Okay. Uh, yeah, it's a real town. Uh, and they are uh, visiting their high school reunion where Miranda is to be reunited with her high school love, Pierce, uh, who is attending there without his wife, who has just opened their marriage. Uh, now, let me ask you this. Is this, yeah. were they in high school as conjoined twins or did that happen after high school? Uh, it happened during high school. Okay. Okay. So they're so used they, to- They, they, they the got the start story. of normal romance and then suddenly they were conjoined and that, uh, that kind of uh, interrupted things. I got you. Okay. Okay. There were about 40 people on the dance floor moving unironically to Michael Jackson's Pretty Young Thing. And as the twins crossed 
through to get to the door, they were suddenly scooped into the arms of Tony Ware. Hey, ladies, he said. Hey, Tony, they said in unison. I won't hold you up. Just wanted to give you a whirl. Tony twirled them gently in his arms, hugged them, and then spun them away from him, where they came face to face with another man who was not Pierce. Amaranda. Dwayne? asked Miranda. Dwayne Pate was the only person who had ever called them that. She remembered at the time they both thought it was offensive, but now it seemed kind of endearing. Dwayne fumbled his drink and a plate of food so he could shake their hand. Miranda smiled. How you doing? Great. It's so good to see you two. How are things in Atlanta? Couldn't be better, she lied. I'm surprised you got dragged back for this thing. Dragged back, he smirked. Oh, no, I still live here. You're kidding. I always thought you'd managed to escape. I signed up for a tour in the Navy, saw some of the world, and realized that everything is kind of the same all over. Besides, if I moved anywhere else, I'd probably have to actually work for a living. What do you do, asked Amanda. I'm one of Wambi's finest. You're a cop? I can't believe it. No shit. All the crazy stuff we used to get up to back in the day. But I've been on the force for damn near 25 years now. Nothing ever happens here. Easy money. Sounds like you've done okay. Can't complain. He studied the room. Damn it, Danny Thomas is getting rambunctious over there. He pointed to the dance floor where Danny was waving a plastic knife at Kristen Palton. I better go calm him down. I'll look for you later. Then, at last, there he was, right in front of them. Pierce winked and opened his arms. Look at you two. Miranda threw them into his arms, and they held tight for a long time. Amanda felt Miranda's flood of emotions surge through their body. It's been forever. Pierce held them at arm's length and looked them up and down. Damn close to it. Wow, you two look exactly the same. Amanda laughed, though she wasn't sure if it was a joke or not. Yeah, we're still conjoined. Then Miranda leaped at him again, throwing their arms around him. He responded in kind, pulling them tightly against him. They held each other for even longer, soaking each other up. When they finally let go, he pecked Miranda affectionately on the lips. Then they stood apart, looking at each other's eyes, still holding hands. Hi, Amanda, he said. Hey, Pierce, good to see you. You too. They hugged again, and he kissed her on the cheek. I can't believe it. He looked them up and down again. So, Amanda asked, is Jessica here? No, she isn't, and boy, do I have a story for you. They walked together down the hallways of Wambi High. Miranda told him about the events of the past few weeks involving bad dates and weird synchronicities. Amanda added the spooky bits about Simeon and the Yugos. Miranda told him about Ian and that she might quit her job and go freelance. Wow, said Pierce, you two never cease to amaze me. I thought I would be the one with the weird news. What do you mean? asked Miranda. Jessica told me she wanted to open our marriage, and I realized that I was pretty okay with it. Miranda's mouth hung open. What? Plot twist, said Amanda. I thought about you, Miranda, and I know it is true that I can love more than one person. Pierce stared into her eyes, and they kissed. Amanda looked around the lockers as the kiss dragged on. Her eyes roamed over the old metal doors that looked the same, but for what was probably ten coats of paint. How familiar it all felt. Then she looked out the window toward the parking lot, just as a dozen black Yukos pulled in. She screamed, What? We have to get out of here, she pointed to the lot. Oh, no, said Miranda, her voice barely audible. Pierce looked back and forth between them, alarmed. What's going? They dragged Pierce back toward the dance floor. We can cut through and uh, get back to the main parking lot. Amanda studied the floor. Damn it, where's Dwayne? Right here. Dwayne was leaning against a column to their left. How can I help you? Sneaky, said Miranda. Dwayne mined the tip of his hat, and Miranda smiled to see his balding head. They were all getting so much older. Amanda filled him in as quickly as she could. He didn't know quite how to process the information. Nevertheless, he was excited to have an actual criminal complaint to look into. He radioed the other three cops, and the twins ran toward the door with Pierce in tow. When they reached the Camaro, Pierce finally stopped them. Would you mind telling me what's going on? 
Miranda looked in his eyes. There are some bad people after us. I can't guarantee your safety, but I would feel better if you were with us. If someone is bothering you or something, just let me know. As long as you want me to be with you, I will be. How touching, a cold voice said from between two parked SUVs. A man stepped forward from the shadows, and when the light hit his face, Amanda recognized him as the man who had shot Alan. Fear stabbed through her like a spear of ice. He approached them with his drawn gun. My employer wants the lever. Amanda stepped backwards, pulling Miranda and Pierce with her. We don't know what you're talking about. Of course you do, he said. You attended the Belois auction for the express purpose of procuring it. I know the price was no object to Mrs. Rubenstein. Ergo, you had the item. I'm sure of it. If you just wanted the lever, why didn't you go put a bid on it? Asked Miranda. I will never understand why you people have to make things so complicated. Hugo's, though not reliant on computers, are still not the most reliable cars. Let's just say going was slow. You work for Simeon. In part, he said, but I do it for the glory of the country formerly known as the Socialist Federal Republic of Yugoslavia. That's quite a mouthful. See how you fill the mouthful of my makarov, Miranda. I only need Amanda alive, not you. He leveled his pistol at Miranda's head and Pyrrhus rushed him. The agent flicked his wrist and a gunshot rang out. Great. Yeah, that would, I could see everything that was happening. It's perfect. Really, Thank really you. S- stirring prose there. So um, <laughs> Excellent. Thank you. You're very welcome. Well, um, this book is available uh, through Amazon? Yeah, it's Amazon. You can also order it online through Barnes & Noble and Books a Million. Okay. And I'm selling autographed copies from my homepage, which is Outs- authormarkmiller.com. AuthorMarkMiller.com. No spaces or dashes? No spaces. Just one word. Okay. Well, what's the uh, cover price? Uh, the cover, pri- cover price is $18.95. Not bad. Not bad. And uh, I think it's a uh, it's a terrific book from what I've heard and what I've read. I think uh, you got a, a hit on your hands here. And so tell us some titles. Is this your second novel or have you written more than two? Oh, yeah. It's, this is just my second novel. And the name so, of the first uh, so, yeah, one I'm, is? The Librarian at the End of the World. Uh-huh. I'm a, This is going to be a trilogy. The The next book, uh, I as soon as I'm done doing promotion for this, and this dies down a little bit, uh, I'm going to uh, begin work in earnest on the end of the trilogy, which will be known as The Walrus at the End of the World. Okay. And it will be it'll be absurdist horror. The time this is coming. This is absurdist romance. The Walrus at the End of the World, yeah. Outstanding. Okay. Well, uh, that's uh, authormarkmiller.com for the for, for more information about you, I imagine, as well as you can order yes, directly from, from the website. Also that's your, website. Your, your website for all things weird. Outstanding. <laughs> well, I think uh, if you like weird fiction, if you like uh, a, a rollicking good tale of uh, people who are unusual – and lots of things going on, then that sounds like a terrific book for you. Go to Amazon, do the search, or go to Books a Million, or uh, what was that third one? Barnes & Noble. Barnes & Noble. Oh, I've been there. Yeah, we have a Barnes & Noble here. So um, thank you very much, Mark. Sounds like a terrific, terrific novel. And uh, is it necessary to read the first one first? or No, it is not. uh, they, They are standalone books. Although, uh, you know, there are recurrent themes and characters in all three of the books. Okay, uh, but you you know, but you don't need to read the others to you know to enjoy one. Excellent. All right then. Well, thank you for your time, and uh, we we'll look no, forward thank to you very much getting for having it. Me. And and uh, folks, buy this book. 
I'm going to do it myself. So if, if that's right, any awesome. sort of recommendation, <laughs> I'm going to buy it. So you should too. Fantastic. All right. All right. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. You have a great day. Thank you. You too. Hi, my name is Tracy Babian, co-author of the Carlson Chronicles podcast. My husband, J.A. Babian, the main author, had a triple stroke in the latter part of August of this year. Jerry was lifelighted to Tulsa, Oklahoma, with a brain bleed that the doctors thought they were going to have to do surgery on him, which surely would have killed him. Thank the Lord they didn't. He survived that brain bleed and swelling, but he is in need of so much for his recovery I have started a GoFundMe to help with all the costs that I just don't have. I retired back in April of this year so that I could take care of Jerry, as he was starting to show signs then that I just didn't catch. Little did I know this would be a blessing in disguise. He is fighting this setback of memory loss and 75% use of his right leg, arm, along with his cognitive speech. Considering the doctor said he would not make it, I consider him to be a miracle. Medicare has only granted 12 visits of physical and speech therapy twice a week. He needs at least six months worth of speech therapy alone. That is a total of $4,000 we need to pay up front that I just don't have. So far, we have had $775 in donations of the $10,000 we need come in. Please donate today so that he can get his needed medication, therapy, and also help pay bills that Medicare just will not cover, even if it's only $5. I update this account so folks can see his progress. You can go to my Facebook account, Tracy Babian VO, to find the pinned link with the title Jerry Babian Stroke Victim Needs. Jerry says, thank you. I still have a lot to write on my stories that I want to get done. Please help me to achieve that goal. Thank you in advance for your donation. Tracy Babian.